Welcome to a fresh edition of the Peter B. Collins Show. Coming your way from San Francisco, supported by listeners. And I want to single out some for credit. Gillian G. Hurst, Ray Welch here in California, and Natalie Real in Big Sky Country in Montana. Thanks for your support. If you'd like to help out and you're able to, log on to PeterBCollins.com and click on the link on the right-hand side that says you can help. Our voluntary subscriptions start as low as $5 a month. In today's episode, a brief but powerful conversation with Naomi Wolf. She came to prominence in the 90s when she published a book called The Beauty Myth. But she's moved on to very important issues. And during the 2008 election cycle, she called attention to the creeping police state in this country. And she remains concerned. This interview co-hosted with Sibel Edmonds, part of the Boiling Frogs interview series. Visit BoilingFrogsPost.com for the latest from Sibel. Welcome to Boiling Frogs. security letters, state secret privilege, TSA's one million plus no-fly list, persecution of government whistleblowers, perpetual wars, rendition and torture. Can you feel the water boiling? Welcome to the Boiling Frogs. With Sibel Edmonds, I'm Peter B. Collins, and our guest today is Naomi Wolf, an author who's written on many subjects, starting with the beauty myth a few years back. And I've had the pleasure of talking with her on a number of occasions. Uh, the last time was in the fall of 2008, when she published Give Me Liberty, a handbook for American revolutionaries. Naomi, welcome to our program. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Well, um, I, I pulled out your book off my shelf today and uh, just took a look at some of the pages that I had bent back, and I started with the introduction, where you describe what you called a fascist shift in the United States. And you run down some of the very themes that Sibel just mentioned in the introduction to this show, which include uh-huh. the TSA's watch list, the uh, 9-11 report based on evidence derived from tortured prisoners, uh, the admission that uh, the drive to war in Iraq had been based on lies, and many other issues that we don't need to, uh, to repeat. But I wanted to ask you for, <clears throat> as we begin here, your thoughts on the current state of affairs under the Obama administration, and if you believe that things have uh, gotten better, stayed the same, or gotten worse? In some ways, they've gotten worse. Uh, uh, let, me, let me rephrase that slightly. I don't um, feel the kind of headlong rush to continue over a cliff that I did in the Bush administration, but in a way it's worse, because what I do see is that where Obama could have rolled back um, some of the sort of preliminary forays into a closed society, he's actually 
very intently consolidating and institutionalizing them. Um, for example, uh, you know, with case after case, he, his Justice Department has um, taken on the Bush administration's very same state secrets claims in order to deny prisoners justice. The most chilling example to me, um, and I was in Guantanamo in July, when a prisoner, uh, quote-unquote, committed suicide. And now there's, you know, increasing reporting indicating that something very uh, dark and disturbing happened to him there. And there have been, there's a very important story by Scott Horton in this month's um, Harper's, uh, you know, challenging the, the quote-unquote, suicides of 2006 and suggesting that they were, you know, all of them probably murders. But uh, what he's what he's doing is... is uh, floating, and he's going to do it, uh, a, a notion of preventive detention forever, you know, which is worse than anything Bush ever even attempted. Um, and so in, 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 in a number of ways, I'm just like so appalled because he, first of all, I fought hard to get him to help, you know, to help him be elected. But I, I don't understand, you know, this is a constitutional lawyer. I don't understand what is motivating him unless, in fact, um, you know, the Defense Department and uh, and the sort of, you know, multi-billion dollar contracting industry is so influential in our national affairs that he really doesn't have the power to refuse to go down this road. So uh, in some ways it's worse. In many no. ways it's worse. Now, I mean, did he give any indication in terms of action as a senator that he was going to be any different? Because as National Security Whistleblowers Coalition, we did go to his office, and he was one of those who was against protection for whistleblowers as a senator. Later on, when he was you know, running his campaign, he promised on the record that he was going to be supporting any laws to protect National Security Whistleblowers well. Just mm -hmm. a few weeks ago, he said absolutely not. And in fact, this White House has been fighting it even more ferociously mm -hmm. and harder than the Bush administration. And then he stand also with the NSA's illegal wiretapping and the mm -hmm. immunity for the telecom. So if we were to go back and look at his actions, I mean, what were those actions that would even indicate as a senator that, yes, we were going to see any change? Well, you know, his campaign... You know more than I do, uh, Sibel, about um, what his record was when he was a senator. I started paying attention during the you know, presidential campaign, and he very overtly ran on a promise to end torture, close Guantanamo. Remember, he, I was so ecstatic when he signed that um, executive order on day one, um, close Guantanamo within a year. Um, you know, he... he uh, challenged the suppression of our liberties. He was explicit about trying to reclaim the moral high ground in terms of liberty. So, um, I, you know, I, I, I don't know if it's helpful for your audience, but I, again, I watch this and I'm going, I'm completely baffled because it's not as if he didn't, when he was campaigning, it's not as if he didn't talk about uh, the Constitution, civil liberties with awareness. He talked about it as someone who knows intimately what the Constitution says and why it's important. Um, so, again, it, it, it leads me to even a scarier conclusion than what I had during Bush years, which is that basically I, I have to conclude that the U.S. president just doesn't have that much power anymore and, and really isn't calling the shots fundamentally. I mean, look at Blackwater. You know, 
so egregious, so terrifying. I mean, people have read uh, At the End of America, my first book about this, and Give Me Liberty, the sequel, know that I raised Blackwater in the second step toward closing an open society, which is creating a paramilitary force, which every closing society does. So during the Bush years, we had Nisor Square, where Blackwater agents um, really opened fire on innocent civilians. Um, we had uh, them opening bases in South Carolina, in Illinois, in San Diego. We had reports of contractors uh, shooting unarmed civilians in Katrina, which is now actually being confirmed um, by an investigation. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, the contractor threat is immense. And so now it turns out that there are 200,000 contractors still employed um, by the Pentagon. So does Obama say, I am never going to hire Blackwater again? They're done? Uh, no more contracts? No. You know, Blackwater is is in Afghanistan, you know, working for us with our tax dollars. So it, it, it you know, again, my, my head just spins because what kind of pressures are there on the United States president that there is continuity of this kind with people like that? Right. Dan Ellsberg, uh, we had him as a guest on our show, mm, and he called it very uh, openly. He said, we were caught. We were conned into voting, and that makes him a con man in my eyes. And that was stated by Dan Ellsberg. Russ Baker calls it the shadow government, the power of shadow government, deep state, what you just referred to, the military-industrial complex. And I would like to be able to call it hopefully the end of this two-party system when they have become the two sides of the same coin. What do you call it, Naomi? Well, Sibel, you raise a very important and useful and necessary point, and I really have to kind of thank the libertarians and the Ron Paul supporters who have reached out to me over the last few years and kind of taken me under their wing to educate me, because, you know, obviously I I come from a a, a liberal or progressive background, and I, I wasn't exposed until recently to this idea that both the political parties are two sides of the same coin, and that both of them are, at this point, the enemies of the people. Now I heartily you know, endorse and agree with that. Um, I'm still left of center, but <clears throat> pardon me. Uh, but I no longer think that a, a certain political party getting in power of these two is going to be the answer, because clearly, you know, and I worked on two presidential campaigns, um, Actually, not doing wardrobe consulting, contrary to the Republican National Committee's, uh, <laughs> you know, mythology, but, yeah. but involved in women's issues. And what you see is that both the political parties are hostage to special interests. They're just different special interests. Um, so, Sibel, I think what's happening, and again, this is just very impressionistic, based on talking to, uh, you know, to, to groups and and you know, my my Facebook quote unquote fan community, um, which is very diverse and, uh, you know, just, just hearing from people across the political spectrum when I'm on shows like this one. But I feel like there is an awakening, you know, inshallah, as we might say in the Middle East, that, you know, God willing, there's an awakening of people left, right, center, it doesn't matter, realizing that those labels are really, you know, secondary, if not pointless. Republican and Democrat are secondary, if not pointless labels. And that what really, what the real opposition is, is the people and the Constitution versus these special interests that have hijacked our political process. So now what I try to focus on, 
talks about is, um, you know, sort of alternative media and alternative entities, and I'm trying to build one, actually, that channel that awakening of people across the political spectrum to kind of break up this hegemony. You know, what that's going to look like, I think, is anybody's guess. You know, as many, many people across the country are trying to do similar things. But it is exciting to me that, and I don't think I'm exaggerating, don't you think there that that notion that it's not about Republican Democrats, it's about the people versus these special interests, that's kind of more widespread, don't you think, recently? I take a little different view, Naomi, which is I'm disappointed at the passivity, that the Patriot Act was just renewed and people were distracted by a, a sideshow of the Obama health care summit at the White House. And that, uh, you know, we've seen the prosecution for clear acts of, uh, of war crimes uh, declared optional and taken off the table because yeah. we want to look forward, not backward. And people are accepting that. And the escalation of the war in Afghanistan, because it's being done by a Democratic president, is not in, you know, uh, uh, pr- producing a response from the anti-war community the way it That's did from true. Bush. Peter, you're so right about that. You know, I have to say it's one of those glass half-empty, half-full things. And, other, you know, my days are like that. Some days I'll wake up and you know, think, wow, people are waking up. And then other days I'll read the newspaper or, or I'll, I'll observe events like the renewal of the Patriot Act, which, by the way, I didn't see coverage in the New York Times of it. I may have missed it. I was alerted to it by, you know, my Facebook community, which goes to show how pretty the mainstream media coverage of, you know, our priorities are. But, um, you know, you know, I vacillate. I mean, on a bad day, I would wake up and say exactly what... Well, you just said at the same time, and, and I, I have to also say, as a member technically of the left, although I'm you know, more libertarian and less, less and less left, um, it, it's shameful that the anti-war liberals have been silent on Obama's war or not mobilizing the way they did with Bush's war. It's shocking. It's, it's horrifying. It's hypocritical. It's wrong. Um, but the other two things you, you raised, I mean, this is where we really need to kind of knock our heads together as citizens. What can people do? Like, day after day after day, you know, I have a reasonable platform, and, you know, I get published, and people pay attention to what I say to some extent. And, you know, day after day, I raise the alarm about prosecutions and trying to get these guys prosecuted and trying to get the petition signed and trying to get people calling their representatives. And there's a lot of outrage about there being impunity for these war crimes. But what can people do? You know, there's no leverage anymore. And the same thing with, um, you know, signing the Patriot Act. What can people do? What are our pressure points? I mean, at the end of Give Me Liberty, I offered 55 action steps that people could take, and that will help. But, um, what you know, what we need to create are new institutions where people can actually direct their anger um, effectively, because, you know, calling your representative isn't going to do it anymore. Um, do you have any better suggestions? I mean, w- w- you know, what I'm building right now are d- democracy retreats where we're training leaders uh, from the community, you know, homemakers. And, and we had two Afghanistan war veterans at our pilot retreat two weeks ago. Um, and, you know, we're training them to go out. We're training them to, you know, draft their own legislation, start their own organizations, run for office, write op-eds, you know, really hijack the process in a way the Tea Party is sort of similarly, you know, trying to build grassroots effectiveness to direct some of this anger. Um, 
although I'm worried about them being co-opted by Republicans, but apart from those kinds of actions, you know, where, where does someone who's frustrated direct their, you know, ire, Peter? I, I think the movement is highly fragmented. That's, that's I think, one of the problems. You know, mm-hmm. you, you do have some of the independence, but it is fragmented. And I agree with you. You know, with Congress for until 2006, November, we were making our rounds and we had battles. We had uh, press conferences in front of the congressional offices about how bad things were, not only for national mm-hmm. security whistleblowers, but with state secret privilege and excessive mm-hmm. secrecy, etc. And the excuse was, I mean, we were being hoorayed and backed by the Democrats, and they kept pointing to the Republicans, saying they are the ones who are doing this. We mm. want to have all these accountability hearings because they are the majority. They are preventing it. And mm. as soon as they, they became the majority, they stopped even answering the call oh, from these organizations, the people who supported them. And, and that, especially after 2008, I see a lot of people have given up. It's like those classic channels try to affect your representative. They don't work because ex- situation circumstances may be calling for extreme measures but what are those and some of the solutions seem to be too long term like you're looking at maybe seeing results in 10 12 years when mm-hmm. we are we have entered many people they are saying oh we are about to become a police state this is the right it's like who tells you we are not there because right. if you look at the criteria we have fulfilled it i mean even the tsa and in that part, I truly agree with Peter. Maybe we are seeing too much of this desensitization. People, yeah. people, they're like, they no longer react. My right. mother and I and my father, we were leaving the airport in Iran during the Khomeini regime, okay? Yeah. And we went through the security checkpoint because they didn't want anyone to take any currency, any money out of the country because everybody was running away. And this was our, yeah. basically, flight to go back to our home country. And my father was a physician. So they wanted to take him back again to the war front. So anyway, oh they took my mother, mm-hmm. uh, female, went through different security. And mm-hmm. my mother was having her menstrual period cycle. I know mm-hmm. it makes sound to some people something that we shouldn't talk about, but I don't have any problem talking about that. Mm-hmm. They had my mother pull down her clothes and her pants, oh and mm-hmm. they had to shred her pants okay, in front of us. To make sure nothing was oh, hidden. Oh, that's horrible. But what we are seeing today is not that much different. When you're going through these x-ray machines that they have mm-hmm. this, and where is the outrage? And people are still saying, oh, you know, they are waiting for this uh, martial laws. Or they're saying if Peter is right. having his radio show, right, if Naomi right. is writing her book, right, if Sabelle right. is going I've and talking to these reporters, we are right. doing great. See, they are not arrested. Right. Are you being arrested? That means we are doing perfectly fine. What would you tell those people, Naomi? Well, what I, you know, what I would tend to say is that if you look at history, um, open societies don't close down in a in a heartbeat or overnight. That it's a very gradual process, which is why I love the um, title of your. Uh, you know, of your show or the metaphor that you used when you opened the uh, the segment, you know, the boiling water. Um, if you look at, you know, Germany in 1933, there were many newspapers, there were journalists, people were criticizing the regime, um, you know, people were, uh, you know, outspoken. And then what happens is a, a gradual um, 
you know, silencing um, in in various ways. And, uh, you know, the minute Obama has the power of preventive detention, which really he's claimed, so he has it, he just hasn't done it yet, you know, formally, um, although holding these guys indefinitely is the, is the same thing. But, you know, all it takes is one journalist to be um, the subject of that preventive detention. And then uh, what happens historically is that people start to censor themselves. Um, I have been hearing from journalists across the country or activists, you know, activists I speak to just assume that their phones, you know, their their communications are not secure, that they're uh, I've heard various forms of harassment, um, male tampering, you know, COINTELPRO type stuff. So do, do most people hear about this? No, because the mainstream media doesn't cover it, and I think people are reluctant to talk about it. Um, but I think to anyone who would say that, um, you know, it's, it, you know, yes, the window, the window has been closing, uh, and I still think we're at a place where if enough people push back, you know, we can regain and you know our our liberties and more. But um, it's just not the case that that an open society closes down like the March on Rome. It's not going to be one day you wake up and it's martial law. It's going to be more like last November, three units were deployed, redeployed from Iraq to somewhere in the United States, and we don't know where. So in the next quote unquote national emergency, you know, they can be redeployed, you know, by the president because of the Defense Authorization Act of 2007, and then we'll wake up and there they'll be, and, you know, then we won't even be having this conversation. So it, it is a gradual process. And, you, you know, you're right, the desensitization is, 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 is definitely part of it. I mean, I can't even believe, you know, f- four years ago, we were horrified, five years ago, you know, at the prospect that, that there would be torture by the United States. Now that meme, that concept, has become so embedded in you know one side of our national discourse that we actually have serious people writing op-eds about why it's a good idea, and serious newspapers like the Washington Post publishing those op-eds. And you know, the analogy with Nazi Germany or, or any closed society is very, very germane because you know would I ever in a million years have thought that in the United States, Harvard law professors. Uh, would be saying um, this is okay. This is defensible. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're, we're in a way we've crossed the Rubicon. If, if this is now part of our uh, sort of repertoire of what we think is acceptable to even talk about. And Naomi, to your point a few minutes ago, one of the things that I've been doing, and uh, I have a little better access than the average person to members of Congress. But when I have the opportunity, and I I have looked Barbara Boxer, my liberal California senator, in the eye and said, Mm -hmm. give me back my Fourth Amendment rights. And I made made the same statement to Mike Thompson, a congressman from Northern California, who's on the Intelligence Committee. And they Mm -hmm. look at me like I am speaking Greek. Why? They, they must surely know what you're talking about. It, it, no, they, nobody else mentions it to them, and so they, seem like, they, they make it seem like it's coming from left field. Wow. And when I follow up and explain that the, you know, the Fourth Amendment uh, pre, you know, should preclude the wiretapping that was started right. under Bush that continues right. unabated, uh, they, they're intercepting every phone call and every email. What they do with it, we don't know. 
But right. that continues, and we are blocked from litigating our constitutional rights by the phony assertion of the state secret privilege and this phony amnesty that was granted in the FISA reform of 2008. See, I don't even know that last thing you're referring to. Oh, 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 and the amnesty to the telecommunications companies, right? Yeah, yeah, so we yeah, can't no, sue them because right. we don't have standing, and right. so it is, it's a circular uh, piece of logic that prevents us from really reestablishing our constitutional rights. Right. You're right. It, it's, I mean, you've just spelled it out in a hideously, suicidally depressing way, and you're, you're absolutely right. I must say I'm embarrassed on Barbara Boxer's behalf to hear that uh, she looks at you as if she doesn't understand what you're talking about. Um, but when you spell it out that it, you're, you're referring to what's happening, doesn't she, you know, have the courtesy to sort of... Well, that she knows what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, she acknowledges the issue, but she'd rather talk about health care. Right, right, right. So, Look, Naomi, we know that you're very busy and you have some kids to take care of, so I want to thank you for your time. But if you could, tell us uh, how people could find out more about the democracy retreats and the other things that you're doing. That is a very hopeful note to end on. I just want to end on this note of complete sort of despair, um, because that way uh, we can't fight back. Um, what I would direct people to is um, the Woodhull Institute, W-O-O-D-H-U-L-L, um, woodhull.org, and there on one of the website pages you see Democracy 911, which is a retreat where you learn all the things you need to take back the country, um, everything, pardon me, from writing an op-ed to uh, drafting legislation, starting a, a nonprofit, starting a movement, uh, doing um, media, uh, uh, doing alternative media, um, raising money, giving a speech, running for office. And my, my fantasy or my dream is that if enough of us uh, learn these skills, that we will form um, uh, uh, all the movements we need to form. Because it, it, Sibel is right, it won't just be one movement, because we do have different points of view across this wonderful country, but that um, we will have the power to take back our system and to continue to find innovative ways to um, break up the monopoly and resist. Because I'm now persuaded that it's, it's on a local level and not just a federal level that um, a lot of this resistance is going to come. So that's my that's my little gesture toward reclaiming the republic. Actually, not so little. We graduated 21 brilliant community leaders, and um, let's hope it's just a start. And I'd love to see all of your listeners at the next Woodhull Retreat. Naomi Wolf, thank you for joining us today on Boiling Frogs. Thank you, Naomi. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And, Sibel, thank you so much, too.
future. The future, well, that depends on us. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back soon with more Boiling Frogs interviews.